From ThatShelf.com, this is Black Hole Films. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. What's a black hole film, you ask? Well, you know those films you always meant to get around to watching, but you never did for whatever reason? Well, that's what they are. And this podcast is all about embracing them and checking those films off our lists and talking about them and whatever else happens to come up. I'm Canadian filmmaker Jeremy Lalonde, and I will be your host. You can follow me on Twitter at LalondeJeremy, or check out my website, JeremyLalonde.com, for more information on me and my projects. If you like the show, please subscribe to it, rate, review it, and leave a comment on whatever platform it is you're listening. It really does make a difference in helping to get more ears tuning in. And if you like this show, check out the others on the ThatShelf.com family of podcasts. And without further delay, let's get into this week's film. This is episode 89 and our second holiday episode. I'm joined today by Norm Wilner, who is the head film writer of Now Magazine, as well as he has an amazing podcast called Someone Else's Movie. You should check that out. Also joining us is Eric Bazzari, a filmmaker in his own right. He made a short called Cold Hands that you can watch on Reverie. He's also the director of the Future of Film Showcase, so you can check that out on Twitter or the internet in general. And we're going to sit down and watch a film together. Okay, so we're sitting down to watch Die Hard. Uh, I'm Jeremy. I have seen this movie many times. Uh, I'm Norm. I have internalized this film. <laughs> My name is Eric Bizzari, and I have never seen this film. Uh, and we are, we are uh, being hosted tonight by Norm, who, uh, be, for the sole purpose is because he's going to let us watch it in 4K. I ins- oh, there's Dexter! I insisted, yeah. It's like, no, I have that! We should watch that at my place! So I should, I should uh, <laughs> update my intro. I'm Jeremy, and I've never seen this film in 4K. Yeah. <laughs> well, neither have I, really. Oh, yay! Although I've seen it in 70mm like six times. Well, there you Does go. Does that matter? I saw it a lot in yeah. 1988. Like, this was one of the films that overwhelmed the experience it was just um mm. how can i put it i well i saw it do we do this now or do we do this after do it now do, do it now well as long as you don't give away anything oh god no no, no yes no. don't give away so anything. i saw this movie at a preview at the varsity what's now the varsity eight but what was then the varsity two uh there was a sneak preview they used to do this they used to screen movies on saturday nights and you know come see come pay for this movie and see this other movie and the studio would just stick two films together so they screened it in June, I guess it must have been, with Big. I was going to ask when this movie came out, because it is... Um, July 1988. <coughs> Fascinating, because it is like, you know, part of what I'm doing this year with my Christmas episodes, I'm doing Christmas-adjacent films. Right. So, because uh, oh. it takes place at Christmas, right? Yeah. Did you know that? Yeah, That's I, I know spoiler. the biggest, yeah, the biggest, uh, I guess topic about this movie that I found is is whether it's a Christmas movie or not. And I, I, I think they asked Bruce Willis. Like, didn't they roast him on, like, a comedy roast or something? And they asked yeah. him if it was a Christmas movie? It was movie? like a running gag. There's yeah. no question. Of course it's a Christmas yeah. movie. Well, it right, takes yeah. place on Christmas Eve. So there are jingles yeah. on it has the to be. soundtrack. Yeah. yeah, it has okay. to be. But that said, I was curious, because I hadn't looked at it, I was like, when was it released? No, it was released summer. in the summer, so summer that's fascinating. Me. And it was, at the time, this is the amazing thing, no one thought it was going to be any good. Uh, Bruce Willis was a comedian. He had made two movies. Neither of them. Yeah, and he'd made Sunset and Blind Date, or maybe Blind Date came first, but he'd made comedies. Yeah. And so this thing came out, and or before it came out, it's just like, and you get to see Die Hard, and we're all like, okay, free movie. And Oh my God, can yeah, you imagine? Uh, I, and what happened was they screened, I, I want to say because of the running time that they ran big first, 
usually they sneak the film and then they show you the movie that you paid to see, but this time uh, it was backwards. Hmm. I think I, I'm almost positive the first we saw Big, which I hadn't seen. What which a I double enjoy. bill! Yeah, and then this thing started and um, it played like a rock concert. It played huge. I bet. I, and I, I'm wow. actually envious of seeing it for the first time. I mean, now you've got 30 years of of baggage, I guess, yeah. of, of all the movies that have stolen from it and have quoted from it, and and for. You know, for ten straight years, every movie was Die Hard on a thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, what on, like, do you know event. about it? Um, I know that it's similar to um, this film that came out recently about like kind of like a one building idea where all the enemies are like on each floor. Oh, Get Over It Man, I think, or no, Game um, Over Man, or something like that. No, oh, Skyscraper. No. Um, Johnson. No, not Skyscraper. It came out. It's a it's a foreign film. It came out like, oh my goodness. Terror Heist. No, not Tower Heist. No. I, I, Inferno? I, there's a million... I know you're talking no. about. There's a, so but like Norman said, there's a bunch kind of, of film. Die Hard mm. in a thing. Yeah. yeah. It has, has been a thing for the last 30 years. Yeah, single exactly. location. One, uh, how did it go? Oh, this is great, too, because in 1992, there, were under, there was Under Siege and Passenger 57, which is I've never heard of those. Die Hard on a Boat with Steven Seagal. Mm. Uh, it's the only good Steven Seagal film. It's worth seeing. And <laughs> Die Hard on a Plane with Wesley Snipes. And... Mm. The selling point of both of them was that the trailers are identical, and they both came out within weeks of each other. So if you were lucky, or you were me, you got to see them <laughs> one after the other in screenings. Yeah. And both of them were, you know, terrorists have seized this you know, boat slash airplane. The stakes have never been higher, but there's one thing they didn't count on. And in Under Siege, it's Steven Seagal, and in Passenger 57, it's West Side. They're, they're identical trailers. Amazing. And so we watched them back to back at one point, and this whole audience started giggling. But that's how simple the formula was. It yeah. really is that simple. Find an isolated location, uh, have a brilliant plan, mm-hmm. and have uh, a fly in the ointment, a monkey in the wrench, a pain raid. in the ass. Raid. Isn't it called Raid? Oh, Raid. Raid? Kind of. But that's that, about a character going into the thing. Um, I think, well, the, people the, the were... Gareth Evans movies. And they're... Yeah, they yeah, just yeah, came yeah. out. Like, the, the second one just came out. I don't know. Or something. I'll believe you. A couple years raid. Old. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that's... Yes, that's what I know about it. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious. I'm sure you, you could find online because uh, I bet you, given what you're what you're saying about um, Bruce Willis's career at this point in his life, he was not their first choice for this oh, role. Oh no! You do you know some of them? I know plenty. Should we go into it now or afterwards? I don't want to prejudice anything. I don't think it'll prejudice, prejudice anything. Okay. Uh, it was mm. originally well, technically, it was supposed to be Frank Sinatra, but that was never going to happen. What? Well, see. The book on which Die Hard is based is called Nothing Lasts Forever. It's by a guy named Roderick Thorpe. And it was the sequel to a book called The Detective, which was made as a Sinatra movie in the 60s. Okay. So it's an old book. I think it dates back to 74. Um, and that's been, like, it's been in, it was bought, it was optioned because of The Detective. Right, and it was right. around For a long Century time. Fox forever. Oh, okay. So that makes more sense. I don't <laughs> think Sinatra ever said yes. Gotcha. I think he was huh. dead by the time they, no, he was still around when they did it. But... Because of the age of the actor, the first person they seriously thought about making it with was Clint Eastwood. That yeah. would make sense. I get that. You got the yeah. dirty hair stuff going on. Yeah. That would have made sense. And make then sense. when he didn't do it, Richard Gere was up for it in 1988. That would be a very different movie. Yeah. yeah it would have been. And then I think there were a couple of other pieces um, shuffled around, and then it ended up being Willis. Amazing. Wow. But uh, This was the film that my dad, um, like my dad fell in love with with Bruce Willis. I mean, given he hasn't done much previously, but he said as soon as he saw this film, like Bruce Willis became like one of his favorite actors. So given that, I got to ask what, how is it that you've never gotten around to seeing this? Yeah. Um, when I was younger, my dad, I think I might've mentioned this, um, 
before, but my dad got me into uh, like Rocky, got me into um, Back to the Future, uh, and a whole bunch of other uh, series. But um, Die Hard, we just, I don't know, we just never got to. There was like three, I think like a period in my life, like within like two or three years, where we just like continuously watched all different kinds of franchises, and we just never got to Die Hard. How old were you? Uh, when I watched like Back to the Future, yeah, in this window, I'd say like ten to thirteen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you would have been old. Like, like Die Hard is incredible, kind of. Yeah, yeah, I know that's where I'm at because my son is about, will be turning ten in March. Yeah, and there's all these movies where I'm like, oh, mm, not yet. Yeah, not yeah. yet because he's constantly looking at the shelf going, "Can I watch this?" I'm like, "Oh, buddy, not well, yet." Well, that's the You're thing. So close. Whenever we'd watch one of these movies, we'd always like talk about it for half an hour afterwards. Like my yeah, dad would like kind of like nitpick it. You know, like we watched the entire Rocky series. <laughs> um, for example, and uh, and like especially even when, like when Creed came out uh, recently, like we went like that was like he was like if you get tickets to one movie, this will be this one. Like we have to go. Um, no, it's it's exciting. Lovely, it's exciting. Yeah, yeah but uh, like Lord of the Rings was also never one of those franchises. Mm-hmm. Uh, Star Wars, like I just watched Star Wars for the first time like two years ago. Mm. No, nice. Yeah. But I've always I've always the wanted second, to watch it. I'm you're the second person this week who, who caught up to it as an adult, and I'm always really? there's been a, there was a couple people this week that even like Jessica Greco was going to be here tonight, and then another friend just uh, the other day was like, "Oh, I haven't seen Die Hard." And I'm like, first of all, who are all these people that haven't seen Die Hard?" And I'm so like normal. Like, I'm so sad and excited for you at the same time because. Wow. But this is why this is why I love this podcast is because this is almost like a safe space. You know what I mean? I could say well serious, right. I could say like, Oh, I've never seen Star Wars. Oh, that's okay. Oh, that's yeah. all right. Because we get excited. Okay, I'm like, oh, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To re-watch but it. like, you walk outside and seen Star Wars. Who are you? Get out! Of, you know, unless you're a like, girl, and then the guy gets you? really excited because he's like, I'm gonna mansplain <laughs> yeah. Star Wars. The <laughs> fuck out of Star Wars, dude. That never works. That no, it really, really never doesn't work. Yeah, Terminator also being another one that my dad was obsessed with. Okay. But you haven't seen? No, that that I have seen. Like, we we watched Terminator. Stop. So as a, as a ten year old, you're allowed to watch the Terminator, but not Die Hard. Terminator. It's not that, but again, it's Those not that I wasn't pretty lateral allowed. in terms of their content. Yeah. But it's not that it's not that I wasn't allowed. It's just I, we just like never, you didn't get we to just it. Didn't get to it. Yeah. Copy. But right. I was saying like sense. on my way here, I was like, looking at that, I was like, oh, where are you going? I'm going to watch Die Hard. Oh, it's great, right? I'm like, well, I've never seen it. He's like, sorry, what? And I'm just like, no, I've never, but I'm going to go watch it now. He's so at fine. home right now drinking and going, what yeah. did I do? <laughs> How did I mess He's very upset. Father? He's yeah. very upset. I know. Oh, he destroyed his evening. <laughs> is, he, is he close by? <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, he's all the way up uh, in Vaughn. It's okay, too late. No, we're about to start. Got a couch right It's way too late. Uh, okay, well, I guess we should just get into it then because there'll be so much more to talk about after. Yeah. And I don't want to accidentally ruin anything. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm hyper conscious of what I'm saying. It's, it's, yeah, it's that's, that's the danger of the pre conversation. <laughs> all right, let's get into it. Cool. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. And we finished. And? That was awesome. That was so good. That was so good. That was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Totally holds up. So. <laughs> that was so good. I mean, like, as soon as he said his like his iconic line, I had forgotten that that Yippie Kaye motherfucker was from this movie. Because um, I remember when the newest one uh, came out. I guess that was in like 2012 or something, or 2013 or something around there. Good day, yeah. Die Hard. Yeah, the- they they really overused that catchphrase. Yeah, and I remember just thinking like like why. 
what's so what why this you know what I mean? I'm like it has like it has to be from the originals or something but you know I mean you don't feel it and unless you watch it you know what I mean yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That, and that's <clears throat> what I think I'm what I'm what I'm trying to explain is like I knew it was from these movies but I didn't know it was from these movies you yeah know what I mean? one of my favorite lines <clears throat> is the uh, come down oh, what is it come, no, down. come down to the coast yeah come, come to the, the coast that's the laughs yeah oh yeah when he's in yeah. the uh, the um, air duct. Yeah, imagine Clint Eastwood doing that line, right? Like it just wouldn't sell. Well, I wonder they must have tailored it right. more for him once it was him. You've got to imagine. Pre-production on this was really rushed though, because McTiernan had just made Predator the year before. When you think about how quickly this thing came together and how good it is, it's it's remarkable. It's almost like it's a perfect screenplay. It's almost machine tooled. Mm-hmm. I, I always assumed Steven D'Souza had a flow chart while he was writing it just to figure out where everybody was in the building, scene by scene by scene. Oh, for sure. It's just, yeah. it's so, it's just so good. No, it is. And just, like, and what I was really, like, focusing on this time around <coughs> was just, just the, the beauty of, because you say it's a perfect screenplay, and it fucking is. You know, it's a perfect movie. Yeah, it, 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 pretty much. The, the setups and the payoffs and the exposition and the way they're done, like, they're done by textbook. But it's like the way they do it is perfect and beautiful. Like, just in that opening scene of, of um, Bruce Willis on the airplane, you learn so much about him. You learn he's a cop, because that was back when you could have guns on a plane. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but also he makes, like, brief eye contact with this girl <clears throat> on the plane, and it's just like, oh, maybe he has a wandering eye. Maybe there's, you know, you, you know so much. And then just the way him and Argyle have that that banter you know the fact that he sits up front says so much about him as a character Mm -hmm. Uh, but then just the way Argyle is that guy that's just designed to get the exposition out of John but the way they're just shitting you know bullshitting with each other it's really really so well performed and written yeah it's um, and again and a lot of that is down to Willis's delivery too where he makes it feel very naturalistic you can sort of see him withholding and then opening up immediately because John John McLean is a fairly vulnerable character even before he's full of holes um but his openness and his sort of willingness to like just give more of himself than he probably should uh you sets up all the stuff where he's trying to keep information back and concealing things and Mm -hmm. you know i can't tell you this and let's call me roy and i can't tell you why all the things he's holding back because he knows other people are listening in Mm -hmm. it really like on repeat viewings, it's this one little thing about his performance that just keeps coming out. Is that he's always fighting the urge to say too much. He's always fighting exposition, and, and he fails that at some points too. There's <coughs> one more where I'm like, I get, I buy that. I guess is when um, they're lighting up the building, and he says, "You guys are coming in." And I said, "Why would you tell them?" I guess they'll fi- they're figuring it yeah, out anyway. They are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's like he's learning as he goes, and I find that he's not. He's human. He wasn't born a hero. Yeah. yeah. He wasn't born a hero. He was very much stuck in a compromising position. And he, like I said, he just, he learns as he goes and it's great. Um, back to at the beginning when you were saying you know so much about his character, it's like you know about the relationship with his wife mm-hmm. even before they start talking in that room. You know yep. what I mean? Even from like his position leaning against the wall in the bathroom, like the way they're kind of conversing, you know that, you know, okay, they're together, but they're not, like, they're not whole somehow. You know what I mean? There's, well, just there's something beautiful missing, little right? things, like when he logs into the building and he goes to use the last name and she's, oh, yeah. she's used yeah. the maiden name. And it's just like, that just says so much, too. And it's just a yeah. simple, beautiful way that's organic to the story. Yeah, and yeah. he winces at it, too. So yeah. we get to understand that like, not only did he not expect it, it's an insult. Uh, to him, anyway. His, like, yeah. his pride mm-hmm. and his... 
his um, his defensiveness, just the way he sort of immediately launches into her before she can even finish saying hello to him. She's just offered him a place to stay, and he blows it up. He's like he's not good at things, uh, which is wonderful because also it plays into that sort of compulsive irritation thing he's doing with with Hans and everybody else. Like he's it's it's what Holly says, only John can drive somebody that crazy. He's trying to annoy them. Like he's yeah. devoting all of he's he's channeling all of that energy towards the terrorist that he was previously using on his wife, which is just an awful personal characteristic. And in the subsequent films, there's less and less for Holly to participate in by the third film they've separated again because he's just not good at this stuff. He's really good at this one thing. Yeah. which is annoying people and frustrating them. <laughs> well, and that's the same. You asked, the, you know, how does this play into the sequels and whatnot? Yeah. And, and the problem is that by, you know, not so much the second one, but not far after that, he John McClane essentially becomes a superhero and he's unkillable. Yeah. He became like fully indestructible in the fourth one in Live Free or Die Hard where basically they throw a, a police car and a helicopter at him and he's fine. Yeah. Um, in the second well, in the second one he the, the, the smart movies there's a close up on his boots so you can see that whatever else is happening he's learned from that previous experience he bought really good boots. Yeah. Uh, and then and doesn't the third take one, yeah, yeah. And then the third one he's hung over which makes him vulnerable again but he's also more or less indestructible and then by the fourth and fifth it's just literally he's not even the same person. Once he shaved his head he just mutated into some sort of Terminator creation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would love to see a, a like a, a film now where he wants to die and he can't. This is, <laughs> this is his funny. destiny. Every six or seven years, he'll be in the right place, the wrong place at the wrong time, and all that, and have to save the world. And he just like in the fifth one, I don't know if you've seen it. They go to Chernobyl by the end of it. They end up in Chernobyl, and it's like a joke about taking anti-radiation medicine. For a second, you kind of expect him to go, I don't need it. I'm fine. Yeah, Nothing. I'm John McClane. Yeah. What the fuck's gonna happen? At it's... least make a joke out of it. But no, they're just. <laughs> It's like it should it should stop. It won't stop because now there's a prequel coming. Yeah, uh, which is the stupidest idea ever. Because the whole point of Die Hard is that he's never been in this situation before. This is a complete. Yeah, the was still with him in in it. The prequel to the original yeah, no, it'll, it's oh, like it's a prequel to this one or something. Oh. Yeah, which makes yeah, no like sense. Yeah, like on, on the streets of New York. And why, like, who wants to watch that? No, you'll see. No, it's zero people. Well. Who's cast in I it? I don't know. I'm assuming it'll be Taylor Kitsch or somebody who's probably older now than Willis was at the time. No one wants to want, anyway. And no offense, you know, not an insult to Taylor Kitsch, but... No, no, but the same thing. It's don't just make like, this movie Taylor Kitsch if you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> say, politely say no thank you. Just get out while you can. Yeah. This is... Like, there shouldn't have been sequels. This is a perfect self-contained story. It doesn't need mm-hmm. to go any further. And I like the third and fourth <clears> one. <throat> but yeah. this is just the... Like, it's well, the ideal iteration. Well, it's just... it's it's. It's a beautiful action movie. It's it's, it's a hilarious comedy. Yep. Yes. Like, I forgot about that one line uh, by Paul Gleason when the FBI guys die in the helicopter. He's like, "I guess we need some more FBI guys." Yeah. Like just <laughs> there's just there's so many amazing little one-liners yeah. that are just thrown away that kind of deconstruct the whole scenario they're in. Well, the like, absolute cynicism of Hans too, right? Like I read about them in Time magazine. Do you think anyone will respond? Who cares? Yeah, it's not important. Well, just and how instantly the movie just lets us know that he's just fucking with them. There's a great moment where uh, Carl, the other one of the terrorists, just mouths the Red Dawn or whatever. He's like, "What does it matter? I don't read. I read about him in Time Magazine. It doesn't matter. You just know right away. It's like, oh yeah, they're fucking with him. 
And just the way they set it up, he knows the FBI is going to FBI is going to show up at one point. They're just a bit of ahead of schedule. Yeah. Because he, in fact, he needs the FBI to show up. Yeah. That's the other thing that's so great about this movie. Um, it is basically, I'm sure I'm not the first person to point this out. It is basically reverse predator, because if you see it from the terrorist perspective, he's a serial killer picking them off one by one. Like he's murdering them in horrible ways, and they just keep finding bodies and damage that he's left behind. And he's like, I really caught it this time. The scene where he distracts. Um, Carl's brother, I think it's Theo, right? No, Theo's the computer kid. Um, he distracts Carl's brother with a with a bandsaw that just sort of stops worrying just as he comes into the room. Yeah. So McLean can attack him. He's like, that's like that's what Candyman does. That's a an evil thing to do to somebody, but it works. Mm-hmm. And the other thing about Predator, uh, being McTiernan's previous film, is that both Predator, Die Hard, actually all three of the the perfect action trilogy that McTiernan made, Predator, Die Hard, and Red October. Every single person in this movie, in those movies, is doing the best job they can. Nobody is a fuck-up. Everybody's smart, every, or at least reasonably intelligent, and the only thing that trips you up is that the other guy is better than you are. That's yeah. all there is. I mean, Carl has a little... He's hot-tempered. He's maybe a little vain. Hans is definitely certain that he's got the best plan ever. But those aren't, they're not wrong. Like, they do have the best plan ever. It's an ingenious plan. And, again, lack of exposition, right? We are figuring it out along with McLean or just by ourselves. Like he never sees the ambulance in the basement, which is the, uh, which would have been the robber's way out, which is, in, you know, again, it's a genius little move that there's this perfectly decorated ambulance that came in with them. We saw it at the beginning of the movie, but we didn't really register it. It's in the truck when they make their exit. I totally forgot about it. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, yeah, you wouldn't <clears> even, <throat> I saw him get, I'm like, oh right, that's there. Yeah. And then yeah. when you see what it is and it's an ambulance so they can make their getaway, yeah. it makes like, it's brilliant. It's, great planning yeah mm-hmm. and again not a word of dialogue just a couple of looks and then we see it and we get and, to figure it out and again we and then and they plant our guy on the basement as a joke to be like this guy's not paying attention he's not helping john yeah, yeah. and then he's there at the end of, and but so and because they do that it allows it so later on when he it is convenient that he's there that it's okay yeah everything is set up beautifully like every little moment there's you know like early on in the film when they're running up to uh, they're running up to the roof to plant the debt to plant the c4 which we don't know is c4 yet but when people are running up to the roof they pass the chains that mclean will hang carl with they're hanging they're just right there there's there's no surprises the characters are surprised by things but we see it all laid out and then like the there's that great shot of the of mclean hiding under the table early on when they kill takagi and we get a sense of the sort of contorted zigzag shape of it yeah Yeah. and then an hour later when he's under the table you know exactly how he has to move and exactly where the other guy has to be and how it's how actually difficult that would be when someone is firing you know like several rounds of ammunition per second at you yeah Mm -hmm. it's just it's beautifully beautifully laid out and then it's all completely destroyed yeah and i also always forget about that moment coming when um when alan rickman gets to play the schlub oh bill clay yeah, when yeah. he gets to uh, pretend that, and I love, and I love that interplay. It's such a brilliant use of it, and just of uh, of us knowing what's going on and being a little bit of ahead and, and who's fucking with who in that moment. And it's not sustained when it happens. I remember the first time seeing it, thinking, "Oh my god, they're gonna actually." What is he gonna end up fighting his own men? And then, of course not, because the second McLean gives him a gun, he puts it, he points it at him. There's yeah. no hesitation. There's no playing along. As soon as he has a weapon, he uses it or he tries to. Yeah. Well, the only misstep he makes is he starts talking. He should have just tried to shoot him right away. He starts. Well, he he wants starts the detonators, right? 
Yeah, but he got a shot him and got the detonators out of his hand. Like he starts talking in whatever language. German. Yeah. German. And he says, we're on, the 30, we're on the 32nd floor, come get us. Quick. Yeah, but it's like, why wouldn't he just shoot him right away before McLean even turns around? He monologues a little bit. You he gotta. Does do a little bit. Yeah, there, but McLean does it at the end with the laughing, so I guess, you know. He enjoys it a little bit. But even at the beginning, he doesn't. Uh, McLean doesn't kill right away, right? That's that right. First that death's an accident. His, his first death, right? So. Um, and I love that kind of like hesitancy where, or, or even his, his belief in Hans as a, as a good guy, as a good character when he was, when he was hiding out with him, right? Yeah. Just goes to show that like his, his heart is in the right place. His heart is to help people. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the minute you get him mad, he starts yelling. Yeah. No, that's, which is exactly. But when he kills, when he kills the first terrorist, he's just, they're just wrestling on the stairs and he breaks his neck by accident. Yeah. But then later he he throws it to Carl and he's like, when I broke your brother's fucking neck. I love the way his voice cracks in that moment. When I broke your brother's fucking neck. (laughs) As if he did it on purpose. Well, he's using it now. Yeah. Yeah. Now he's using. He's, it's a, it's a really, it's a good, great emotional performance. He, Mm -hmm. like he cries, he bleeds, he screams, he shouts. Oh, just the glass and the feet, just that moment, just like really humanizing and just the brilliance of the, like shoot the glass. Yeah. You know? It's almost like, I don't know if this is the right word, but realistic in the sense that there's so many times when you watch these action movies and there isn't like a, there isn't a scratch on the person's body. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Oh, he he's, scratched the he's fuck He's bloody. Up. Like, he's yeah. gone at, at by the end. He's walking out of that building and they're watching him like, and then that like, um, you know, Terrace comes back up afterwards and he turns around, no questions, get out, I'm done, good night. You yeah. Know? That's Powell who shoots him. Yeah. That's the best part. Like, no, 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 I know, even, but yeah. I, I'm, and I'm saying like, turning him into that kind of person, right? Like, right. Come, walking out of that building as bloody as he is, and then turning around, not even a flinch, just shooting him, seeing where he's like... Because like, hey, I, I thought just of the first image of him on the plane, just sitting down there next to that guy, you know, the guy sees a gun, he's like, oh yeah, no worries, I'm a cop, you know what I mean? Like, it's not, it's, like, it's second nature for him to have a weapon, but not second nature for him to use it all the time. Sure. And then by the end, he's, you know, walking yeah. out. And, there's, there's some, yeah, there's some yeah. really brutal violence too in the film. It's, it's, I mean, yeah. the shot of, there's a close-up shot of knees being shot out uh, yeah, in the glass mm-hmm. sequence, which always gets somebody flinching in the room. Ugh. First time there was theatrically, every time I saw it, there would always be this <laughs> this ripple. It's like that's the worst thing, but of course it's like it's intimate violence. You can imagine it, but if people feel real. It's like even that. There's a one little small moment where the one the terrorist, uh, the guy with like the Fu Manchu goatee, just like grabs the chocolate bar. Really? Yeah, two. He gets two. He, he gets two. It's yeah, a he, crunch he, bar, and then later on, there's another color. It's yeah. like a different rapper. But it's just like, that's such a human... Of course, he's like, yeah, I'm going to be here for a few minutes. There's a chocolate bar right here. I'm probably hungry. Yeah. When's the last time these guys ate? Yeah. yeah. Plus, you're in a movie theater, right? Like, this film was designed to be seen by people who could just sneak out and get a Zagnut. Yeah. They're, they're, it's almost like you empathize with him, but you also want to eat something. I feel like in, in uh, that scene kind of mirrors uh, Brad Pitt in World War Z. That scene when he's kind of just like... He's he's killed a few of the zombies, but he's he has a bit of a break, and he passes by a vending machine, kind of just looks at it, and he kind of just like shoves it. Coke falls down. He opens it. He's like, yeah, I'm gonna take a break. I'm just gonna <laughs> drink Coke. Like I, you know. Yeah. Um. But I was gonna ask, how was this like? How was that violence like received? Oh, people, when it first came out, or or orgiastic. Really? People, yeah, it yeah, because it's not it's not treated as realistic. Yeah. In, in the, yeah. In the sense that it is treated like very human. I think it's, it plays this over the top. Like the tone of this is so specific. Yeah, I don't think anyone mistakes it as 
kind of would comment on society or or violence. Yeah, in this general. was the year after Lethal Weapon too, so they had already um, amped up that level of, yeah. of action violence. And then Predator, you said too. Predator was the year before. Yeah, yeah. This was the first time watching this. I caught that the thing that kills Alan Rickman is her taking that Rolex yeah. off. Well, it's him. It's it's uh, McLean taking the watch off, which is yeah. even yeah, more yeah, symbolic. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, that's the thing, and the and and the only people who care about the watch at all uh, are Ellis at the beginning when he points out it's a Rolex, and then Rickman at the, Gruber at the end when it was the only thing between him and and falling. What, what would that say about McLean about him not caring about the watch? Those no, well, it's just the the watch is a symbol of yeah. her promotion yeah. and you her know, you can read it as her selling out or being part of the mm. thing that took her away from him in, in mm. New York interesting we never really yeah. do find out what she does they say she's instrumental to closing deals but Ellis is the one taking all the credit for most of it but also there's some kind of in- inclination that she's more effective at it if she's seen as a single woman Japanese company doesn't like buried women yeah that's what she says right. I guess that makes sense because they should be at home yeah because they're sexist. It's the eighties. Everybody was on coke. I don't know that we need to really. Yeah. That like character yeah. gets. It's sort yeah, of. Yeah. It's <laughs> sort of rubbing his nose. Yeah. It's a little mildly racist in that way. But well, also Takagi, mildly is being kind. Well, but Takagi short circuits a lot of it. They gave him the dialogue about it, like we Pearl Harbor didn't work out, so we got you with tape decks. Yeah. Like there was a point. Like, there was a there was a joke about how Doc Brown couldn't believe the camcorder was made in Japan in oh. 1985, but they cut it out. Uh, this one stayed in. Well, there is one in Back to the Future 3 where uh, when they're in the 50s and they're fixing He's like, no wonder this thing's short-circuited. It says, made in Japan. Oh, and then yeah. Marty says, what are you talking about, Doc? The best stuff's made in Japan. Yeah. <laughs> is that in the third one? That's in the third one when they're in the mine shaft <gasps> and, and uh, they're going and they're looking at the, the car. God, I haven't seen that third one in a while. Yeah. I should watch it again. So they still have. So they they they, they, they took the racist joke out of the first one and put it in number three. Back. Yeah, we made two of these. You can't stop us. Yeah, Bob Gale and Zemeckis say, "Hey, why do we ever do that racist joke?" It's like it's just sitting right here in the drawer full of racist jokes. <laughs> you want it? Like, yeah, pull yeah, it out. All the leftover racist jokes from 1941. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, those poor people. Oh. That's funny. But this one is. Like it's not misanthropic in the way that a lot of action movies <coughs> were at the time. It's just it's kind of warm-hearted towards all of its characters, except the total dicks. It's magic. I mean, I can't imagine the way you talked about how it was just thrown in with another screening. Like, can you imagine this being the bonus movie? We had no idea what we were in for. It was, Holy fuck! We went up. Like, there are two times in my adult life because I was just about to turn twenty, I guess, in nineteen eighty-eight. Um, Two times in my adult life that I've come out of a theater like basically drenched in sweat and and on a total height was this and Terminator Two. They were they're yeah. both so elevated beyond and elevated is the wrong word, but they are both like they're pristine experiences the first time through. If you don't know anything about them, and if you've seen Terminator T two turns all of that on its head, but with Die Hard it's like oh, what, an action movie that's also Towering Inferno? And then by the end of it, it's like, it's an action movie that's also the Towering Inferno! It just completely wins. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it rolls over any objections you might have. It's just so beautiful to look at, and, and it's so involving, and the characters are so solid, and the, and the, the, it just, it, like, I don't know how many times I've seen it, and it just keeps giving. I just, I fell right into it again. Yeah, it's so, it just, it just, it just doesn't stop. Yeah. And well, just and, sequence after sequence. Yeah, and this time through, I noticed the structure... When it opens up about an hour in, once McLean gets a radio and can communicate, obviously. But until then, we don't leave the building except to go see Al Powell. No. Right? And then when, uh, then it opens it up to the police scanner 
because they can hear him. So we get to see the stuff going on at 911 and we get to see the stuff going on at Dick Thornburg's TV station, Channel mm-hmm. 5, I guess it is. And then it just keeps adding more characters. But yeah. the first hour is really contained. There's almost no dialogue uh, in the McLean scenes. He's completely alone. He talks himself a little bit. He's like, yeah. why, didn't you, why didn't you say that, guys? Because you'd be dead too, asshole. He, yeah. He's monologuing to himself a little yeah. bit. But he's he beating himself up, which is great. Yeah, he doesn't owl, owl to talk to you yet. Yeah, and once he gets owl, then the story opens up a little bit more. And then once other people can hear them, it just it always expands in a logical fashion. Yeah. Like, And after that, characters come to the building. Yeah, uh, I always forget um, how that kind of section, almost the middle of the movie, where once the, the police do show up, He's just kind of hanging out smoking cigarettes for yeah, a long time. He disappears for a while. Yeah, for quite a while. He can't do anything, so he's just sitting down quietly and thinking. Chatting with Al every now and then, talking about just getting to know each other over yeah. the open walkie. Reading yeah. back the information that he's sharpened onto his arm, which is, again, brilliant, right? Like, that, it's such a genius little thing that he's, yeah. he writes their names down so he can taunt them with them. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And I he's lo- still, like, he's shooting in the dark as much as Hans is. Uh, what does he say at one point, like, with uh, with with... Heinrich and Frankie and the other guy because he doesn't know yeah. who the other guy was because he didn't catch his name. Well, the whole thing is just like they're both playing chess with each other the whole time, right? Yeah. Which, which is what you said, and I love the way uh, you phrase that. Yeah. That they're no, everyone's doing the best job they can, and there isn't just with the information they know, like with yeah. what they know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But they're all professionals. Yeah. They're all smart. They're, they're all good all, at what they do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I honestly, I still maintain that if that if. Um, Hans Gruber had shot John McClane in the face and at the very end the movie would still play people would still love it because you root for Hans as much as you root for him yeah like by well, that, the end of the film you're invested in both of them that moment when the when the the um, uh, the, f- the vault opens mm-hmm. it's celebratory oh it's a hero moment yeah, yeah. There's, like, they blow his hair back with wind I love that there's a little <laughs> shot of Alan Rickman's hair kind of fluttering there's no wind it's just happening because he earned it. He, got the, he, got <laughs> he the earned the flutter. Open. Yeah, I assume it's just blowing victory perfume at him. <laughs> but it is like you it's get, blowing the score at him. Is yeah, what's you get Ode to Joy. You get that. You get to enjoy the moment with them. There's the one, yeah. the one guy who just kind of pings the little uh, carving and walks past the sculpture, and then it, the camera yeah. tilts to show you the ballet dancers in the painting because it, otherwise it would be on its side. It's just it's a moment where you're allowed to enjoy the bad guy's victory. Mm-hmm. And feel the way they feel. Oh, and you then, revel in it, I and that's the thing. Ode to Joy is also one of those things that's tied to this this uh, franchise. It whenever, is now, yeah. Whenever they have new, but it's always the trailer, trailer. It's always yeah. in the trailer. Well, it's probably a cheap license. I did oh, find a, a weird <laughs> feeling where I found um, I almost felt satisfied when that vault opened. Yeah, like as they were, as the hacker was was going through like each port, and it was like. Uh, like two disabled, three to go, and I'm thinking in my mind, oh, three to go, you're almost yeah. there. But yeah. I'm like, wait, no, I'm not. No, I'm not rooting for you. I'm rooting for McLean. But then obviously I see the vault open. I'm just like, oh shit, okay. I wanted to see what was in. Yeah, but good for you, Terry. <laughs> but you want, no, but you want them to be as good as as they are as John is because that makes them formidable ally, yes, you know, villains exactly. with each other, right? Exactly. You yeah. want if them to just too easy. Like it's just it doesn't make for entertaining entertainment yeah. yeah and the other problem too is that it set too high a bar for the sequels because they never came up with somebody else who was that's this what I'm equal. very curious about now. well one of the se- well, look, before we get into that I will say yeah. the one character who I would argue is not doing the best they can is Paul Gleason. well that's yeah okay that's because that's true it's because he doesn't listen right like he's yeah. automatically countermanding everybody else I guess he's doing the best he can given the kind of character he is 
Yeah. Which, which is Paul Gleason again? He's the one that plays the deputy. Deputy chief, yeah. He's the, the guy who shows up and swaggers all over Al. Oh. And he's the only one that's going, maybe we shouldn't show the power off. Yeah. It's so, true. so there you as go. So he is being wrong, smart. He start, yeah. And then he but starts... But that's mostly because he's going to weird the mayor's going to be pissed at him. Yeah, and he buddies up with Al towards the end. Like, oh, I don't like this, Sarge. He's immediately just flipped <laughs> over because the, he, the FBI have taken over and now he has to make sure everybody knows he's not in charge. Yeah. It's all these decisions instantly now. obsequious and, and passing the buck. It's, it's kind of a lovely performance from Bob Leeson. Yeah. It was like, this is, I think, the only film that has the two prime 80s assholes William Atherton and Paul Gleason in the same film and somehow they never interact which is so sad it's true total wasted opportunity yeah, yeah. so you were asking the sequel so yeah because that's what I'm curious about is like it, the third is the second or third one is Atan's Gruber's brother yeah Simon Gruber um, which is Jeremy Irons he's good like that's a good choice and it makes it personal and interesting and mm-hmm. the revenge plan although of course it turns out that there's another aspect to it the yeah what was the other thing right um the first three and possibly the fourth. This is weird. All of the almost all of the Die Hard movies are based on other properties. They're all adaptations. Uh, the first one was based on that book, Nothing Lasts Forever. It was written as a sequel to The Detective. Die Hard Two is based on a, a book called Eighty Eight Minutes, I think, or Eighty Nine Minutes, about uh, terrorists hijacking uh, an airstrip. Isn't that an album? Yeah, no relation at all. Which oh, is the wow. weird part? No connection. But same book. Nope. Oh no! Completely different. Oh. Uh, no, the, the the book that Die Hard Two is based on is is a by a thriller writer named Walter Wanger, I think, or Wanger, and it's it doesn't have a McLean character. It doesn't have any recurring like it's not part of a, a cop series. It's just mm-hmm. a story about people, a police officer, and a bunch of um, air traffic controllers trying to stop this terrorist takeover. So they bought the premise. They bought the book, threw it out, and kept the premise. And then for the third one, it was a Lethal Weapon screenplay by Jonathan Hensley that never got used. And they repurposed it. Yeah, which is why Sam Jackson is in it. He's basically playing Murtaugh and they had to figure out another way to get that character in so he could be the the sidekick. And And the fourth one is like based on an article. I think so. Like a true story of cyber hacking which then they bought and turned into a diehard movie. And then the fifth one, I don't know, it's a hallucination. It never happened. Isn't the fifth one just based on a a Kevin Smith monologue? Oh, probably. Oh, it's so bad. And that's the most recent one. Yeah. Like with a sign, it came out like... No, 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 that was the one after. Because the one with Kevin Kevin Smith... Smith is is in Live Free or Die Hard. That's the side. Oh, that's the one he's in, yeah. Yeah. Also bad. Which he did a rewrite on. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. For Justin Long, future star of Tusk, the poor bastard. Yeah. Uh, Well, no, it was more... It was... um, they met, how did they meet? Yeah, what did he do? Well, there's uh, Kevin Smith tells the, the spends three hours telling a story in one of his evening with Kevin Smiths about Bruce Willis and him meeting right. somewhere and hanging out, becoming best friends, and then him getting hired. All of a sudden, gets a call to be like, "Hey, you want to come in and do a couple of days in Die Hard, rewriting the scene and playing Warlock, or whatever the character's right, name was, the super hacker." And then years later, uh, they made a move together, move Comment. together, and oh. apparently had a terrible time with each other and hated each other. I don't blame Bruce Willis at all. That's a terrible <laughs> movie. <laughs> I saw Cop Out. I was one of the critics. He was so pissed at. He still blocked me oh. on Twitter. Um, yeah, Kevin Smith is his own problem these days, but. Um, yeah, it doesn't add anything to the Die Hard experience to know that there are all these other movies that don't quite capture the first energy because how could you, right? So there are only five. There are only five, and now they're working on this year one thing, which, yeah. again, doesn't exist. You're in a good place, Eric. You can just walk away right now. <laughs> like, I you can watch the third one. Like, it is... I want to watch more of this of this character. Yeah, yeah but, that, but you, you won't. That's the problem. You're, watching the sequels doesn't mean you're getting more of this character. Yeah, he's drifting away. Die Hard uh, with a Vengeance, the third one, is 
pretty good and doesn't you don't have to see the second one they're they're pretty much self-contained really yeah mm. um holly's you're, not in it but she's present so mm. that's okay but then they i'm just letting it. you know you're gonna be like a junkie chasing a high <laughs> it's like <laughs> that first one is never gonna be as good you're just never gonna because you gotta hold do you think this series it's possible that the franchise could be saved like you know sometimes when i don't know like you had not that the Rocky series had to be saved, but you had like something like Creed that nobody was really. I haven't seen Creed. Creed, oh, the, really? the first it's, Creed. I haven't seen it. My one of my black holes. It's very good. I'm gonna try to check yeah. it out this week and see the sequel too. Well, yeah. Creed two kind of goes back to being Rocky eight, but the thing the thing that's great about Creed is that it's not Rocky seven. It's its own thing. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Completely own thing, yeah. but it's I don't, so good. I don't, I don't know why. Do Sylvester Stallone almost got. Uh, well, I'm, almost he got a Globe nomination, but he didn't get an Oscar nomination. Yeah, I think he did. Stallone. Yeah, he did for Creed. Yeah, he but he did for Oscar too for Creed. Yeah, yeah, he did. He totally did. Yeah, okay. And here's the thing, it's like, I don't know, I don't think it, it could ever, because what it was was so special and unique and random and shouldn't have been what it was. Like, it's lightning in a bottle. Yeah. You can't recapture it because it was just magic. You yeah. know, it's just, It's not you know. something you can continue, it's like its own. No, it's and so, and that's, that and that's why it, the sequels don't work, right? Yeah. It's yeah. not something that could believably continue, which was the problem they came up with subsequently. Like, Die Hard 2 takes place the following year at Christmas again. Oh. And you know, like they they set that up in the trailer with a shot of the shot filmed for the trailer of Willis running through a a basement filled with with electronics and things saying how can the same shit happen to the same guy twice which is the way in like that's mm-hmm. you make a joke of it but the movie unfortunately Die Hard too deadly serious it's made by Rennie Harlan he's um, not the best gauge of that sort of thing and he mm-hmm. and the script was rushed and you can sort of tell that they're trying too hard. And then the third one came out and they made it a personal. It's a vendetta, which at least allows the same characters to come back into mm-hmm. play. And it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. But like you said, the problem is this one just sets such a high bar. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, none of them is, uh, yeah, exactly what Jeremy said. There is no way to catch that high again. Yeah. So sorry. <laughs> we broke it. Well, well, we didn't though, because we just gave you the best experience of it. But well, I'm telling you, walk one. away okay. now. Just walk away. <laughs> You're in a good place. You know what's so great is that if I had been anyone else and I had said, oh, I watched Die Hard, like, ask me how my friends watched Die Hard for the first time on their laptop. Yeah, okay. Or on television with commercials. I watched it 4K (laughs) DVD in Norm Wilmer's friggin' home theater. Well, that's what. That's what this space is for, Jaws, Lawrence of Arabia. No, but it's seriously, true. that was yeah. it was incredible. Like it was great. Yeah, was I'm so sorry. Good. I'm sorry you didn't get to great see it experience. like with an audience. Cinesphere oh, would be a good this one. Is, I, yeah. yeah, I've seen it. Well, it's it's I think they're good. it's coming back. But this right? is the yeah. beauty yeah. of the, the, the Black Hole Podcast. We try to create a nice viewing experience for your first time to watch these things. And a safe space. There's no judgment here. I honestly, <laughs> I really do. Like, it sounds dumb, but I genuinely envy the people who get to see stuff for the first time. Oh. Because it's like, I wish I could see this movie again, not knowing anything about it. I, yeah. I would love to have the opportunity um, to, to, like, to re-experience it the way I experienced it the first time. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not probably likely. Yeah. Um, one of the things I, I do when I introduce... Let's erase uh, your mind. For a second. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. One of the things I, I do uh, when I introduce the Now screenings, the free flicks that we do at the, at the Royal uh, mm-hmm. once a month, okay. is I always try to like take stock of how many people have seen the film, how many people have seen it for the first time, are seeing it for the first time in a theater with people, because it's always yeah. a different experience. Mm-hmm. And I really, I'm happy for those people. Oh, it's I, exciting. Yeah. It's so exciting to watch. I haven't been to any one of those, but I, I should we're, go. We're yeah. doing Elf but on Monday. You should come. Oh, oh nice. Bring the kids. Elf is 
What do I have on Monday? Maybe Monday night. Yeah, for the screening of Elf is what you have on Monday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to do it. <laughs> yeah. It's, and, and that's, one of, that's, that's one of my... Jo- you're doing the Royal? Yeah. I nice. remember watching, uh, just off topic for a second, watching Elf for the first time. I sat on the steps. I, wa- I, I saw it with my whole family, with my grandfather, who uh, fell asleep during it and started snoring. <laughs> but I sat with my mom on the steps. Yeah. Like, it, that's how packed it was. My kids have seen Elf, though. Yeah, it still so plays. It's the, oh, it's it's so a great good. movie. It's, it's so good. It's lovely. Such a that movie. and Arthur Christmas are, I think, the only two Christmas movies recently. I think we talked about this on the Muppets episode. Yeah, they're the only ones that I would hold up as modern Christmas films. Yeah, mm. they're uh, great. And Die Hard, obviously, but that's yeah. older. Well, let's talk about that since this is a Christmas episode of, or yeah. holiday episode <laughs> for those that don't celebrate Christmas. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's almost sad to me that this movie came out in the summer. Like, it's almost like they didn't have too. faith in it to release it at the Christmas. Actually, it leans heavy never, into it. Yeah. Like, any film I find that gets released in December, even if it's not specifically targeted or marketed as a Christmas movie, always has some sort of element. It feels like, like it, it's so it? Yeah, like, well, even if it's like, I don't know, say <clears throat> you have two heroes and, and whatever, they do their thing, they come back home, and the last scene is just Christmas. Even if it's four months later, it's Christmas. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So, yeah, yeah. I just find it weird that it got released in in the summer. Well, action movies just didn't play at Christmas. Well, and also this is L.A. Oh, it's it. L.A. Christmas, so there's not snow on the ground. Yeah, you can get away with oh, it. Oh yeah, you know, Lethal Weapon was a spring release, if I remember correctly. Like, and that's April. also a Christmas adjacent movie. Yeah, all Shane Black movies are Christmas movies, except they really are. Except for The Predator. Is that on purpose? Know. Oh, I think so. I think I just think it's something that he does, and then he couldn't stop doing it. Does Nice yeah. Guys? Yep. Oh, I just saw Nice Guys. For and the first Iron Man time. Three, wait a minute. Yeah, Iron Man yeah, Three Iron doesn't Man have 3, a Christmas. Jesus Christ! I've never caught that connection. All his movies are Christmas movies. It is its own joke, except for The Predator, uh, which is New Year's. No, <laughs> I don't know. Well, it's but it's coming out on disc in December, and it's almost like he arranged for it. That's hilarious. Somehow that it, it's still going <clears> to <throat> technically show up at Christmas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But as far as the like the I like the idea that people are still arguing over whether Die Hard is a Christmas movie or not of course it is it has Jingle yeah. Bells in the soundtrack yeah. it has Santa Claus in the visuals there are Christmas songs running all through well just, even the score has the dun 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 no that's it's, 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 oh, it's, it's now associated with it's, Christmas thanks to Die Hard that's there, hilarious the score that plays throughout like the piano or something even it comes back at the end but there's a little you know, of the Christmas yeah. Jingle Bells thing yeah. going on and there's um, is it a piano? Well, just the fact that it takes. Pl- I'll say this: just, just the fact that it takes place on Christmas Eve automatically makes it a Christmas movie. Yeah. But just the way they layer in the jokes and they layer in stuff, it's like the, when he kills the first hostage, he writes on his shirt, "Ho ho ho." Yeah. Oh, like, I love Alan Rick. Ho ho. Yeah. His line readings are beautiful. It's oh, Christmas, Theo. It's the time of miracles. Let's talk so about Alan picture. Rickman for a minute because oh, we really haven't. Yeah. <laughs> first screen role. No. Yeah. I didn't realize that was yeah, There's no introducing, so you don't immediately think of it, but this was his first movie. He was cast right off the stage. I think it was in New York. He'd come from the London production of uh, Dangerous Liaison, Les Liaisons de Jerus on Broadway. Holy shit, what a discovery role. Yeah. His first film is a lead, though, or his first film, like, Period. ever? Period. Oh, wow. Period. But he was, a, he was a celebrated stage actor. Yeah, he was known. Oh, okay. he was, so he's not an unknown talent. He was just, wasn't untested. On, on but would you still have to say, you still have to say introducing, though, even if they're not. Well, you wouldn't for someone that film. age. I don't yeah, think. I guess it's just. And it's not that kind of movie either. Yeah. either. yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't do that for the, because he's, he's credited as the second, second lead in this build? movie. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, you wouldn't really. So that's the beauty of this, too. So you think, and this would never happen now, where you think about that, it's like, 
you know, Bruce Willis, this is not the kind of typical movie you would cast him in. Alan Rickman is a complete unknown. Yep. This is not, Bobby even Virginia though... was known as a dramatic actor. She was just, you know, like she'd made Heart Like a Wheel. Yeah. That kind of thing. You know, this is... Uh, Alexander Godunov was coming off Witness. Yeah, this is a big budget movie, even though it's, in theory, self-contained. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like, what a... What, I mean, this is back in the day where you they took risks based on how good the material was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they, they had faith in the storytellers, the directors, and things weren't hinging on... The, the leads for the box office. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the uh, the other safety in this one, too, is that Fox used their own building for Nakatomi. So they owned the sets. Like oh. They shot... Some of its sound stages, obviously. Yeah. But they shot that building is Nakatomi Tower, is 20th Century Fox. Oh. I have paid many a homage to it in Los Angeles. I've never... I, I didn't know, know that. Yeah, yeah. That's it's in so Century funny. City. It's slightly removed from the, from the larger city, but you can see it from certain angles in... in uh, uh, in Beverly Hills, and it's like there's a place uh, on the on top of I think it's the Beverly Hilton. Whenever I'm there for a junket, it's been a while, but whenever I'm there, I go up to the rooftop and just look at it for a minute. And in in that golden light, it's just perfect. Well, even just the way they set up the building so beautifully, just in that limo ride into town, like he's looking at it, and it's just this building looming in front of him, just staring at him. Mm-hmm, you know, yeah. it's it's before anything <clears throat> happens, they've already set it up as this building is your enemy. Yeah, yeah, and the building does try to kill him, which is my favorite sequence. After the jump off the roof, after he survives this, inc- and it, it's that beautifully orchestrated climax, which still isn't the climax. He f- ties himself off yeah, with, the, to pull him with down. the fire hose, and then the fire hose tries to kill him, and then the helicopter explodes and blows him into the koi pond, and then the elevator dings and explodes for no reason. <laughs> but it's so great; it's just the capper, and Willis's reactions are absolutely natural every time he's absolutely just terrified and panicking and then he still has to go save his wife it's just it's not the end um you know the the it does the the classic action movie thing when the villain is killed the movie is over and then carl pops back up yeah but they it does end with them leaving it ends with them driving away from the building so yeah the building is the enemy it's not the people it's its own character oh the weather outside is frightful von monroe and it ends with that song of course it's a christmas movie (laughs) they asked him i swear they asked him on uh they were doing a roast on comedy central and they asked him if he thought it was a christmas movie and he said no wow he's He's pretty sure no but that's what everybody said everybody's like well, it's still a Christmas movie, whether Bruce Willis says it is or not. So right. it hundred percent is. He's just being yeah. difficult. My, yeah. I agree. I agree. The, the, I'm doing three. Uh, I, I should be doing three. I'm still making sure I organize the next one. But uh, but the one I the first one that will be the week before this episode is uh, Three Days of the Condor. Totally. Which is barely a it that is one with Christmas carols. Sure, it's but it's it's uh, if you played a drinking game with the Christmas references in that movie, you would not get drunk. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. What's the other one? Uh, Children of Men is sort of a Christmas movie. Like there's yeah. some decorations That's and stuff. One I, I need to see. I haven't seen yet. That's great. No. Alpha. Children. Oh, you've seen Children of Men. The, uh, no, I've seen Holy. the opening sequence, mm-hmm. but nothing else. Time. For, oh, time for yeah. a deep dive. Roma's out. Do a whole Quran thing. Oh, I'm so excited. For it's that. so good. And I'm yeah. not gonna see it. I, did you see it at TIFF? Uh, yeah, and I caught up to it after, but yeah. I have seen it. Yeah, I saw it at TIFF. Okay, okay. In the yeah. front row. <laughs> oh, it was still good. It was still good. <laughs> it is. I it's... remember having that reaction to Moonlight when I tried like five times to see it, and then the fifth time I finally got into like a press and industry screening. Uh, or sorry, no, it was a regular screening, but like I was still able to get in, uh, and it was in the very fr- front row. It was like my fourth movie that day, but my fourth movie because I didn't know I was gonna get in that day, and I fell asleep. 
Knocked out, KO'd, woke yeah. up in the credits. Everybody's cheering, crying, friend was crying. Did you like it? I, I fucked up. Uh, nope. <laughs> no idea. No. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine I will. Um, I was so upset. Oh, I can't. Man. I'm not going to talk Well, about save it up um, for Roma. Roma's worth it. Yeah, um, I need to see that on the big screen. I'm you do. I'm not going to see it on Netflix. No, 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 well, it's like, it's so... You can watch it's it on, upsetting. if you it's watch it on a big on TV, it'd be okay. Yeah, I, I mean this will be. Yeah, fun. okay. It'll yeah. it'll work on a small screen, but I do find it absolutely amazing that Alfonso Cuarón made a movie for Netflix that basically tells you not to watch it on Netflix. I'm surprised he did it for Netflix. Like, they financed it. It's they, really they, hard they, to they, say no they to money. Him into it, yeah. It's like here's a giant bag of money. Make us a movie we want Oscar yeah. nominations. And he yeah, said, as okay, a filmmaker, but... it's really hard to say no to money. <laughs> <laughs> when they're like, "We'll finance your thing," it's like, "Great, thank you." It's like it's gonna be Netflix. That's fine. I don't care. I don't care. Can I still shoot it in sixty five mil? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Go get it. Yeah. And we're also we're Netflix, so we don't give a ton of notes. We just went ran ran the algorithm, and you're they said we could give you this amount of money, and it would be fine. So here's that amount of money. It's a terrifying new reality. But if you get, I'm not seeing it on Netflix. I'm seeing it on the pink screen. If you get a Coen Brothers movie and an Alfonso Cuarón movie out of it in the same like three months, I haven't seen that yet too. It's kind of worth it. Yeah. You suddenly let it go. You're like, okay. No, and I'm fortunate. I mean, not everyone has this, but I have a nice setup at home where I can, you know, I can, you know, download Netflix on my 4K and yeah. 2K and, See, and watch it, starting, and it, and it looks okay. Just yeah. starting to do that. Now. I mean, we just watch stuff in here, that. Uh, streaming, and it's it's pretty good. I figured out how to project Vimeo. So that's the real trick, people. Just get a decent home setup. Yeah. There's no excuse Amen. not to. If you're watching yeah. Die Hard on a phone, you're a bad person. <laughs> we were talking about it today. I'm I'm mix I'm sound mixing my uh, my my current film. And uh, and I was telling about how is it Edgar Wright that what that after he's done mixing his film, he listens to it on his phone. That sounds like something he would do. Just to see how it sounds. I think he uses the earbuds, right. so at least there's Teaching. some kind of stereo system going in there. But it's it reminds me of you know that scene at the end of Once, where once they're done making the record, they throw it in the car and see how it sounds in the mono track, right? And that was and that was kind of the trick. That's how they used to do mix Motown records too. Is like once they're done doing all the bells and whistles, they threw it through this shitty mono speaker in the studio and they're like, how's the sound there? Because that's how 80% of their, their you know, audience is going to listen to it. And if it can sound good like that, it'll sound good anywhere. Yeah. I mean, I assume Die Hard would work on a phone. I wouldn't want to try it. Sure. Uh, don't watch it like that for the first time. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're like, you know what, I did, I'm jonesing for that Yubikai motherfucker line. Sure, pull up a YouTube clip on your phone. <laughs> but it's like, don't experience a movie like this for the yeah. first time on anything other than at least a moderate-sized screen. Yeah. I will yeah. say I was surprised watching it this time at how much of it is close-ups. There's a lot of faces. Yeah. I mean, it's tight on Willis, but it's mm-hmm. also, there's a lot of... Bedelia has very little dialogue. Yeah, at the end she when, reacts uh, with when Hans is falling from the building, she's that slow mo and it's yeah. like on his face. And oh, he's you know, around you know that story. Me. No, you don't because you've never seen Die Hard. No, uh, tell me. So they they told him they were going to count him down from five, and they just dropped him. So it's real surprise onto the airbag. Oh uh, shit! Yeah, that's that's the that's like the only production anecdote I know. That and that they made. Um, Are they allowed to do that? <laughs> well, you should. Nineteen eighty-seven. They probably were, uh, oh, but man. yeah, it's it's a trust thing. He was perfectly safe. It was secure. He was yeah, like yeah. a short drop. I think it was 20 feet or something. But yeah, they didn't tell him. There. I think the trick to something like that is, I think you can get, there's a way to do that. That's a, there's a nice way to do that where you're just like, we're not going to tell you when you're going to drop you, but you're safe, you're harnessed, you're good to go. I think, because yeah. then you're, you still get the surprise without being a dick and saying, we're going to count you down from five. But thinking you're getting five and then going down on four. Yeah, I would just argue there's, a, there's a, a, a more, is a kind of way to get that surprise. Yeah. 
I would think. Yeah. Oh, the other story is that they built um, barefoot feet for Bruce Willis. I was going to say they probably they would have had to. Yeah. Oh, that's just like a skin, like a, a fake skin over oh, top. Oh, to, for him to wear? He's, yeah. he's in his bare feet a lot. And that's it's just I figured, not safe. Yeah, I, yeah. You yeah. can see them in a couple of shots that so the flesh tone doesn't quite look right. But No, I imagine any time like that shot when, when you know, Rickman comes into contact and they pan down, those are his real feet. Yeah. But it's like any time he's just running around, of course he's going to be protected because... Yeah, that would make sense. No, you're the right. last thing you want is... You is, break your toe in the middle of a shot and you're screwed. Yeah, then, then they're, they're breaking your ankle like down. Tom Gr- No. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. What else? What are, what are your final thoughts? Uh, what are you going to tell your dad? I'm going <laughs> to. My dad's going to be so happy. He's going to be. Um, I don't know if he's watched, like, the sequels. I'm not, like. Well, there you go. Watch the sequels to your dad. Bro- <laughs> yeah. Watch his disappointment rather than. <laughs> <laughs> it's the gift that keeps on giving. I'll give you an out. Oh, my God. Um, no, he's going to be. He's going to be so happy. Um, yeah, I, I, I want to, I mean, I want to watch the sequels, but I also kind of, I don't know. It's weird to say, not that I respect Bruce Willis more, but it's like, I, I'm going to, I feel like I'm going to look at him a bit differently now. Like when you see an actor in their prime, you know what I mean? When you've seen them at their best or at their first, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, you know, you, maybe you look, you, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, you sense? know where he came from. Except I think the problem with Bruce yeah. Willis is he always thinks he's at his prime. Hey man, I didn't see Death Wish, but it looked good. Okay, it's okay. got some, it's <laughs> it came got some out in issues. March. It's got some issues. <laughs> yeah, he's good in it though. That's like he's yeah. too good. He's too good for for the movie to be the pulp that it wants to be. Yeah, because he's playing like misery and and a, like suicidal tendency. He wants to get killed being a vigilante. I was the hoping, movie doesn't think that. I was yeah. hoping it'd be like a Jackie Chan in like the Foreigner no, kind, of, kind of performance. You know like what I mean? That. Like something something. Um, like a comeback almost yeah you know? it's not that kind of thing no. unfortunately and how about you Norm like having watched this a million times it's it... been a while since I've seen it um, I'm not surprised at how much I remember of it it's just still so good it's so beautiful to watch there's you know we've, I'm sure we've had this conversation like the Alien and Jaws are movies I don't actually respond to anymore I just watch them like I'm listening to a symphony and just watch the pieces move yeah because uh, I, I know them so well and I love them so much and I think Die Hard is getting there too it's just it's so. Yes, yeah, so I listen to an a, album you like and just getting and say, "Oh, this song's coming up." I'm yeah, so it's like, "Oh, and this is the bit with uh, this is the bit with the snack bar. This is the bit with the when the when the sliding uh, that piece of floor tries to kill him by flying, but not the piece of floor trying to kill him. But when the fire hose is dragging him off, there's a piece of floor that goes out first, and it goes woof. And every again, every time everybody just goes, ah! they yeah. gave me that that like yeah gave me like sweaty palm. Yeah, yeah that yeah. moment, like, that moment with yeah. this time, I was just like, oh, it's so good. This movie is so fucking that good. That and when he's hanging off the gun in the elevator shaft, yeah, and it's it falls, and he down. just drops. I was like, oh, okay, he caught himself. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Then they give you the release of uh, yeah. No, it's just it's it is it's lightning in a bottle. It's it's the perfect combination of elements. I can't imagine this film with Richard Gere. Um, that that is a weird. I, I can imagine Richard Gere. It would just be different. It would be a different movie. Yeah, and, and you know it'd be, yeah. but it wouldn't be vulnerable because Gear never did that in the eighties. Like that, it took him years to decades to figure out how to be open. Except in in Days of Heaven, weirdly enough, you'd buy stopped. him nicely as like a regular guy, like yeah. that. That he'd be able to do, but you wouldn't yeah. have you wouldn't have <clears> the humor <throat> to it. I don't think it yeah. wouldn't it wouldn't have the charm. Yeah, that, well, that well, springs to it. I do have another story. Uh, when I did the Twelve Monkeys junket, which I did to meet. Both Terry Gilliam and Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis. Like I flew myself to New York and stayed with friends so I could do that, that junket weekend. Uh, Gilliam said the reason he cast Willis in Twelve Monkeys was the glass scene in 
in uh, Die yeah. Hard because he cried because he teared up and his voice breaks and he played it like a person, not a hero. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, you can do this. You can do anything. I, I believed him in that. So I cast him in 12 Monkeys as, you know, a, a burned out mental patient uh, post-apocalyptic survivor because he knew that whatever the role was that Willis would find a way to make it human and believable. Yeah. And that all came from just the fact that he couldn't get through the speech you know, like tell tell her John said he was sorry without choking up. Yeah, it's great. They 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 they, they reference that scene in, in screenwriting books about oh, how it's like sure. how to you know make your hero a human being. I'm starting to remember now that I think I don't remember exactly which, but there were parts of Die Hard that they didn't met that that screenwriting books that I've ha- that I have read, <clears throat> and even just books in film school in general uh, that I have read mentioned um, as Bruce Willis is like. I guess it's yes, it's up to the to the performer to give an authentic performance, um, but it's also in like the way that performer is executed. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean in the environment and stuff. Um, but another question: What do you think, aside from Die Hard, are Bruce Willis's like greatest performances? Oh, because um, that's what I was thinking. I'm going to do next as well. Is is watch Unbreakable's like, pretty Unbreakable great. Unbreakable came to mind. Twelve Monkeys, mention, yeah. Moonlighting. Like, he's great in Moonlighting. That was again. Like, no one knew who he was or what he was capable of. Sybil Shepherd was the big star, and he just uh-huh. held his own and, and is goofy and irreverent. I don't know why this movie's coming to mind. I watched Striking Distance. I watched many times as a child, <sighs> and I think it's just because we had the VHS. The so, I've never heard yeah, of okay. That? I like. There's parts of. It's not a great movie. He's I'm a sure. Cop in Philadelphia. He's like a Pittsburgh? boat cop. Yeah, three, it was I called think. Three Rivers originally, and they changed the title. Maybe I just remember, but I think I re- it was one of those things where it's like my parents bought that VHS, and so because it was in the house, I rewatched it a yeah. lot and yeah. probably liked it whether it was good or not. He's a resentful cop trying to find a serial killer. Yeah, there's something, and there's it plays the. Little Red Riding Hood song over and over That's again. That's right. That's really creepy. Yeah. Hey there, Little Red Riding Hood. Isn't that like the same year as Pulp Fiction? Pulp Fiction, there's one. Oh, Pulp he's Fiction. He's amazing in Pulp he's Fiction. Ama- yeah. Again, he, he's playing like this washed up uh, boxer. boxer yeah. uh-huh. Very. He's so good in Pulp Fiction. Look Who's Talking. <laughs> he's He's got a great voice role. I mean... Do you know Look Who's Talking? This sounds... Oh my God, he plays the voice of a baby. This is sort of cruel now. <laughs> it's just... No, no, no. I'm, here's the thing. You I, want him to see Luke who's talking. Yeah, I'm yeah. Making this happen. You don't again. Don't need the sequels. Uh, you don't need the first one. <laughs> I probably. I wonder. I loved Luke who's talking when I was a kid, <laughs> but I saw it as a kid. Right. That's a movie I haven't shown to my kids. I bet. I. I don't think you should. Does it hold up? <laughs> I, can't I can't imagine, imagine it, does. it does. No. What's this about? It's, it's John Travolta oh, and Christie Alley. Alley, and they have no. Yeah. She has a kid out of wood, wood, wedlock, and. The kid, it's just like Bruce Willis narrates the child's inner thoughts as the child. He doesn't speak to anybody else. You're just like getting what the kid's thinking. Yeah. Cute little they things the kid's thinking. They didn't even animate the mouths. It was before CG. They're just staring. Oh. It's just babies staring and then Bruce Willis talking. And then they yeah. added Roseanne Barr in the second one? Roseanne Barr plays his, his sister in the second yeah. one. And then there's dogs in the third one. Oh, God. They're oh bringing God. animals. I'm not making this up. No, this is, this this is, is all true. <laughs> These are bad films. The world does not need this. Watch Look Who's Talking. <laughs> God, how Just to say you did. How haven't those been rebooted? And well, how haven't they? Yeah. I mean, Wasn't there about baby, baby geniuses? Oh, I was just about right. to say. I, it reminded baby me of baby geniuses. And the boss baby, and there's all kinds of baby Boss baby is actually surprisingly Yeah, that's good. animated too, so it's a different level. Well, it's good. Different level of weird. Yeah. You got to track down Look Who's Talking just for the, just <laughs> for the sake of it. His voice. It's got a great Beach Boys song as the opening credits. I'm sure it's a, easily found. 
Man, I gotta watch that with my kids. No, you don't. I don't. I bet it's not appropriate either. No, I'm pretty sure it's not. I think this, <laughs> doesn't the second one have Mel Brooks as the voice of an evil toilet that one of the babies is scared of? Is that Mel Brooks? Yeah, I remember that. That's all I remember of Look Who's Talking To. Oh, you're right. Oh yeah, scarred amazing. Scarred for life. Yeah, because he came right a toilet train. Right. Wow. This again. This is what people wanted to see. In 1989 and 1990. I, I want to believe that it's like... Right That's because I'm sure it's like Bruce Willis was hot for a moment. And his agent's like, hey, they want you to do this thing. You can literally do this in two hours in a voice booth. He's yeah. like, I don't want to do this. Like, this is how much money they offer you. Two hours, you say? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, two, I can do two hours Did in a voice booth. Did the Clown walk in, do it, leave, find out they weren't rolling yet, had to go back, do it again. Yeah. Oh, you know what's a good Bruce Willis performance that everybody slept on is The Kid. Which, mm. see, I can tell nobody remembers that at all. Uh, he's, uh, he, it's, it's a Disney, like it's a Disney 2006, 2007 movie. He's a sort of empty executive type who meets his childhood self. Like it's, I remember the trailer. Yeah. Wait, I think I, I think I did see this. I think I did see this. Yeah. You would have been about the right age. Yeah. 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 It was on like family channel. Yeah. He's really good at it. It's not a good movie exactly, but he's really good. Yeah. It's worth it. Bottom line. Ton of great Bruce Willis movies. Yep, <laughs> all lots of stuff to discover. But yeah. really, yeah. Pulp Fiction, Unbreakable, Sixth Sense. Are you excited for Glass? Eh. I kind of. I'm a little Split bit. Split was surprisingly good. I'm curious. Split was like Split was a nice return to form, and it had that that great ending where you're like, oh, this is connected to that world. Yeah, I had no idea. I didn't watch Unbreakable. The end of Bruce Willis shows up, and my friend's like, oh, I was wondering how that would play for people. Why is yeah. he here? What's going on? The theater's freaking out. We're just like, what the <laughs> fuck? I don't get it. Yeah. yeah. Whereas I was Sitting in the theater. Like, okay, cool. And they panned to him, and I was like, oh, God, no. Don't, <laughs> don't do this. Let it be a thing. Let it be its own thing. Because what um, yeah. <clears throat> what that does is it, it completely sells out everything that Anya Taylor-Joy goes through. Sure. Because right? she has suffered, and we've got all the stories about her trauma as a child making her suffer. But stronger. franchise, Norm! Oh, no. M. Night hasn't made a franchise I yet. Because Air, last airbender didn't work out for him. <laughs> Good. But, uh, yeah, I, my, my concern about Glass is that now it's just going to be him showing off again. Like Lady in the Water, and that, that little moment where he gets one hit, then another hit, and people start to tell him how great he is, and he believes it and steers into it. You know, like you had Unbreakable, you had The Sixth Sense, Unbreakable, and Signs, which are all really solid. Then The Village, which is a little bit... He, he peaked at his cameo on Entourage. Oh, that's true. He is in that. Yeah, I think you may be right. It's funny. I love Entourage. It's a funny cameo. I never remember that. He tracked, he, it's like Ari Gold is his agent, and he makes him read it in front of him. That's right. He makes him read the script in front of him when Ari Gold's been up like all night. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, that was funny. I, you may be right. That might be the best of it. That's, that's his best performance in terms of a, as being a, an actor. Yeah, I think Split's fine. Uh, I spent the entire movie going. Really, mental illness gives you superpowers. That's your that's your takeaway. And then, of course, it it allows itself to be a comic book by incorporating Willis. So yeah. Okay, fine. But you'll find that most comic books don't have that level of you know, like sexual trauma and adolescent torture, and mm. it's just like he's he's trying so hard to do that thing, and then when it comes to the landing, it's just. Yeah, I just find I, I I think I just love how much it it um, <clears throat> uh, especially in the marketing and stuff it didn't reveal about the film. You're sure. watching the film going in one way, and that's similar to me with Die Hard. Is that I came in thinking that it was one way, or like you know coming in thinking, yeah, what did you expect? So I was explaining before about how so I knew that it was kind of like enemies at every floor kind of deal. Yeah. It was in one location. 
Um, but I didn't expect, I didn't think it was like there was a, a well-rounded villain. I didn't think there were, well, oh. there were any supporting characters. Right. I literally just thought it was him going in, hey, there's like thieves and he's just like shooting them up. Like, oh, so you went in with this? your expectations so low. <clears throat> I, I, well, cause I in knew it was way. a classic. Like yeah. I knew, like I know, like I know it's a classic and, and whatnot. So I knew it was going to be good. I just wasn't expecting a well-rounded movie. Sure. You know no, I get mean? that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing that a lot of the knockoffs just didn't understand where they would have the bad guy be you know, like Powers Booth in Sudden Impact, which is said at, or Sudden Death, which is said at a hockey rink. He's just really smart ex-military. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of them got it right. Like, um, Tommy Lee Jones in, in Under Siege is a blast in the Seagal movie. Yeah. Uh, I think someone ran the numbers and if I remember correctly, like Tommy Lee Jones and Gary Busey, who plays his sidekick, his henchman, have more screen time together than Seagal does in his own film. And it works. Like, it really works. Yeah. Uh, it's the way you minimize a weak leading man is to make the villains really colorful and, and give them stuff to do. And then you cast Tommy Lee Jones and he'll just do whatever the hell he wants. Yeah, he'll just have fun with it. Yeah. Um, who else? Dennis Hopper in Speed. That's a good adversary. He's a good villain. Yeah. Oh, Speed is a great... Have you seen yeah. Speed? No. Speed is oh! Speed is diehard on a bus. Yeah. Like, on the most basic level. Really? There's a bomb on the bus and if the bus goes below 50 with miles Sandra an hour... Bullock? Sandra Bullock? Yeah. and Keanu, Keanu Reeves. Reeves. So Jeff good. Daniels. Speed yeah. is so good. Jeff Speed's Daniels? Yep. Jeff Daniels is in it. Rewrite oh, yeah. by Joss Whedon. Uh, it's speed is that, great. Yeah. Guys, send me these. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, so, good. There is so much I have seen, but there's so much I haven't seen. Sure. Like, it's, it's really, it's, it's crazy. You, can't wa- you, crazy. you literally can't watch everything, but you should try. Yeah. That's, that's kind of your mission statement. <laughs> Look at yeah. That's your tagline. That should be the tagline for my podcast. It only took me 89 episodes to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> you can't watch everything, but we try. Yeah, but we try. Yeah. And eventually yeah. You'll, you'll put a little dent in it. Yeah, no, that's good. I, I, I'm, I'm glad. No, I'm glad I saw Die Hard finally. This has been a long time coming. I'm glad for the excuse coming. to watch it again. This See, this is why I wait because I have friends that have. This. Yeah, I have friends that have. <laughs> look at this. It's great. It's amazing. It's a well, great experience. It's fantastic. Thank experience. you for hosting us, Norm. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank it, you. Really, it was a great excuse thank to watch you it so again. much. Yeah, thank you. Ah, go watch Speed. Let's all go to the. Lobby. Thanks for joining us for Die Hard. Black Hole Films is a proud member of the That Shelf Podcast Network. You can listen to other episodes of our show and other That Shelf podcasts on thatshelf.com. Please subscribe, leave comments, spread the word, do all the things that let others know you like the show and how they can check it out. You can find me on Twitter, at Lon Jeremy, and go to Facebook and join the group Black Hole Films. And until next time, go watch something you've never seen before. Thanks. Let's all go to the lobby.